You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is The Agenda. On Dubai Eye 103.8. You are tuned in to The Agenda podcast. I'm Sonal Rapani standing in for Georgia Tolly. And today on the show, after all of the rains have subsided, we're left with some damage in our homes. We had some experts to discuss who should be paying for it and what can we do to make sure it doesn't happen again. We also spoke about Super Bowl ads. That's after Uber Eats actually had to make an adjustment. Of course, we know it's a very expensive endeavor to advertise at the Super Bowl. So what exactly was involved? We got a marketing guru to help us out on that one. Plus, flying taxis arriving in the UAE in under two years. Is it possible? According to a deal inked at the World Government Summit, it is. Joby Aviation, alongside Skyports and the RTA, have decided they're planning to lift off soon. And finally, we caught up with Noni Edwards about all the latest happening down on the site of the World Government Summit. Welcome along to Tuesday's Agenda. Sonal here once again. We're down at the Bunyan Tree at Blue Waters for the ARN Business Club. Things are just kicking off. People just starting to stream in. And it's nice to see after a little bit of a spell of sunny skies yesterday, the rains did kind of continue through the night across parts of the UAE. I think most of us have seen those photographs and videos in Alain in particular pelted with hail yesterday. And it's a conversation we wanted to keep going because... You know, even though the the UA did call on the private sector to continue flexible working through today, it, we, we want to know, are you back in the office? Are you working from home? Are you cleaning up a bit of a mess if you have stayed at home? Because weather conditions have mostly normalized, but a lot of us have woken up with some home-related issues, some minor, others a little bit more problematic. We wanted to discuss what you can do about those challenges, how you can go about fixing them, and also who is responsible for footing the bill. So I'm happy to say we have some special guests with us today at the ARN Business Club. Very happy that they came down in person. We've got Claire Granger, a senior partner at NB Advocates and Legal Consultants, and also the founder of Optimum Legal Group. Claire, thanks for coming in today. Thank you very much for inviting me. And alongside me in close quarters in our setup here is Harry Tregening. He's founder of Tregening Maintenance. Harry, always good to see you. Oh, it's a real treat to be here. And what fun to be in this in this special studio. Yeah, it's, it's rather tight and nice. It's lovely to have you both today. And Harry, you in particular, I imagine it's been a busy 24 hours for you because you do run a maintenance company. It has indeed. Obviously, waking up yesterday morning to all the rain and having a bed on Sunday as well. We knew that we were going to get a few more calls and there has been the inevitable flooding, not only on the roads, but also in the villas and apartments and everything was tested pretty well, wasn't it? I don't know what the forecast is like, but I think that might be the end of it for a bit. Yeah, I think I've read that some scattered rains in parts of the country, but for the most part, it seems to have cleared up, cleared up for now. But did you face any issues? I'll put that to both of you. Did you wake up with any home issues? Well, we we woke up with a water pressure issue, but I'm not sure that had anything to do with the rain. <laughs> there was no water coming out the taps, which seemed a bit ironic. Did you, Claire? Claire? Thankfully, after the last time, we sealed all our windows and we'd actually sealed our roof. So this time, 
thankfully no problems. What happened last time? Uh, last time we got water through the windows, we got water through the roof, we got water through the walls because it came all the way through. So this time we've taken loads of precautions and literally sealed the place tighter than you could. Yeah, well that's exactly what we're talking today is sure let's deal with the cleanup of what happened over the last 24 hours but also what do we need to do to prevent it from happening again. Let us know if you faced any issues out there for double zero one if you have any questions of course either from a legal perspective or from a maintenance perspective and harry what are some of the most common issues that you see in homes that are suffering from from flooding when it when it comes to the rains what are some of the biggest concerns that people seem to have well obviously the leaks in the house are the big are the, is the big one and the most concerning for people um, when you see the water running down the inside of the walls and things like that. And as um, Claire's just mentioned, it very much comes from not sealing the windows properly, uh, the roof not being sealed. Those are the basic two. And, um, but then there are other sort of spin-offs as a result of the water coming in, like the electrics going and various other parts not working. Yeah. Um, but I think having water on the floor in any, in any property is pretty disconcerting. You know, it's pretty disconcerting to anyone. How expensive of an issue can this be for people to try to resolve? Obviously, it depends on the extent of the damage and the extent of the issue that you're dealing with. But let's say we're looking at a more extreme case. I mean, is it going to well, set... I mean, it, it depends how much you, how you, how you want to go about it. You can start putting new roofs on and all sorts of right. exotic things. But I, I imagine uh, Claire would give us a good insight into you know who, how to get someone to pay for it, which insurer might pay for it, whether it's yours or the land, whether it's a landlord or yours or or as an owner. Yeah, and Claire, let's talk about that because let's say you are renting, as most of us here in the UAE are, that you're not the landlord. There's a certain threshold at which, if there is damage, the landlord must cover it, right? Well, the law's very... uh, Well, the law actually has been in place since 2007 on this, so it hasn't really changed. And basically, technically, the landlord's meant to pay for everything. But most landlords have now contracted out of this and put a threshold in. So you'll find in your tenants in contracts, they'll say 500 dirhams or 1,000 dirhams. Then they'll put in alternatives such as we won't cover it if it's caused by your negligence or fire. And I'm going to give a very horrible example of this to do with the rains a couple of years ago. We had somebody who the water came in through the roof, the water penetrated into the electrics and it caused an electrical fire. The fire actually came from the utility room and caused the utility room in the middle of the night to uh, start burning but nobody noticed everybody was asleep the result was pretty much one third of the house went up in smoke before everybody realized because they were fast asleep and the smoke inhalation unfortunately got them first the ensuing argument between the landlord and the tenants because one property was now burnt and unusable they were all living in one floor downstairs in the living room was who was responsible now thankfully we knew them we told them to take out insurance so they had tenant insurance which is something I'd actually recommend everybody to get get contents insurance don't just rely on your landlord but the argument was who pays and right. their and argument was, well, 
you caused the fire. It was bad electrics with the wiring for your equipment in the utility room. Their argument was the roof wasn't sealed properly. It was watering grass. Who was responsible? They waited for fire reports, they waited for police reports, but in the end there was the argument which came first, the electrical fire because of the equipment, the electrical fire because of the watering grass. So the biggest issue I can say is, in that circumstance, that went on for months. You had two parents, three children, all living in one room because nobody would settle this argument. And it went to the rental dispute committee as well. So the insurance ended up being the saving grace in this because the insurance stepped in and they renewed the furniture, they helped them, they put them in a hotel. So to everybody, as a legal point, get insurance to ensure you're covered. So and the co- let, sorry, go ahead. So the content insurance paid in this case, did it? The content insurance paid in this case. And what happened to the house? Was that just that um, the landlord was left? To, to the landlord own? was left to his own devices to try and fix it. Um, because at the end of the day, the argument was then between insurer and insurer, the building's insurance and the content's insurer as to who was going to be responsible for the rest of the damage. Yeah, that's such an interesting story, Claire, because I don't know anybody who has tenant's insurance. I think there's this thought, perhaps, that, well, Harry does. (laughs) Harry's responsible. I'm just saying personally in my own life, I don't know anybody that, that bothers to take this out. There's this notion that you're living in a place for a year or two, that there's home insurance covered by the landlord. I think people don't often think about the contents of their home and and who's responsible for that. I'm joined today at the AR and Business Club. We are off-site today at Blue Waters by Claire Granger. She's senior partner at NB Advocates and Legal Consultants. And also Harry Tregoning, founder of Tregoning Maintenance. And Harry, quick question for you. When it comes to the maintenance issues that you see, especially when it comes to being tested by this kind of rain that we saw yesterday, is it the newer, newer builds or the older builds where we tend to see a bit more of a... Uh, a problem, let's say. Well, there be there be you get reports from all round Dubai. Being brutally honest, um, the older builds have more uh, sort of weaknesses that have taken time to manifest themselves, whereas the new builds are being tested quite often for the first time. And I suppose you d- you don't test a house. You can't really test a house with a re- with a sort of heavy rain shower until it arrives. So there's plenty there's plenty of it, plenty of areas that are open for. Uh, flooding. But one thing I would say is if you are experiencing flooding, do take a video of where the water is coming in and of the problems you're getting because all the maintenance guys are pretty busy just at the moment all reacting to it. So if they can't get to you in the next day or two, you know, by the time they arrive and you say, there's a leak in the top left-hand corner, and then we look and it all looks a bit dry, it's quite difficult to source it. But if you can show the water coming through and how far it's spread and and other, uh, and other sort of details, then we've got something to go on. So that would be re- a really good thing to do if you can't get hold of someone immediately. I think that's a great advice because, again, I think a lot of people don't think about that. You're dealing with the issue at hand. Get the evidence so that you can get to the root of the problem later on, definitely. Um, Claire, you were telling us quite an interesting story about who's responsible earlier. Now, when it comes to a landlord who's not willing to take responsibility, even though according to the laws they may be actually liable for certain damage uh, that's uh, or maintenance that's required on their home, what can you do if your landlord's being a bit difficult, either non-responsive or just refusing to pay and insisting that it's the tenant's responsibility? Well, 
In the first instance, you can attempt to send a legal notice to try and get them to come and uh, meet and mediate on the issue. If that fails, then you have two ways in which you can go. One is to go to the Dubai municipality and ask for an expert report. Uh, they'll assign a surveyor to come out and actually assess the damage and the compensation that you're owed and try and mediate and help you with the dispute. Alternatively, you can go to the Rental Dispute Committee and you can file a case and they'll also assign an expert to come out and assess the damages. Mm -hmm. The Dubai Municipality route is a less expensive route and it aims more at a peaceful mediation, whereas the Rental Dispute Committee route is more expensive because you are filing using 5% of the cost of the rent that you're already paying, plus you'll have to pay the expert fees as well to go to that route. What would be the cost the municipality? Uh, the municipality is usually um, a small fee which will be based on the costs that you're looking at paying. So you could pay anything from five to 10,000 dirhams. Right. And Harry, another thing we were talking about off air a little bit is sometimes it can be hard to tell that there's water coming in. What's the best way? I mean, should we be doing regular prevention maintenance? What's the best way to really prevent having these issues instead of dealing with the aftermath? Because there can be a lot of damage well, to furniture and things. You are right. Pinpointing the exact hole that comes in is quite often different, often difficult. Um, but there are things you can definitely do. You can inspect your roof once a year, check the silicon around your windows is all intact, and any grouting on any on any roof or you know on a terrace, just check that that's all absolutely intact. Um, water is pretty clever at getting through any small hole. And then once inside, can spread pretty quickly. And um, so just make sure that, you know, before the rainy season, you have time just to have a quick look on top of your roof. I know it's not easy for everyone to get up there, but there are people that can come along and um, do the inspections for you. Yeah. While we have you here, actually, I want to move on from floods a little bit to another topic I was interested in. I saw a headline recently about somebody hit with some pretty exorbitant utilities bills, despite being out of the country on holiday. It seems like there's an issue of sometimes leaks or some inefficiencies that are happening. When it comes to utilities bills and making sure you're not having any kind of extra charges that you don't need to have, what are some, some good practices? Well, DWIR are very good first off. They send you a a note when there's suddenly been an acceleration in use of, of water or electricity. I got one myself this morning from them and I'm still trying to work out why. But um, in terms of trying to save your, your bills, and there are various uh, things you can do, like uh, increasing the, the temperature you leave your house if you're away from sort of 23 degrees to 26 degrees. That will obviously take, take a bit off your DWA bill. Making sure that all your taps are checked before you go away, so suddenly you don't get a, a burst tap and then you've had, a, had the water running constantly for three weeks by the time you get back. Right. And um, you can also make bigger investments into your properties, um, like changing your AC units on the roof. Now, this will obviously appeal more to homeowners than to tenants, um, but the benefit is quite, is quite tangible. I mean, they changed ours. I mean, I am a tenant, and luckily my landlord changed ours a couple of years ago, and immediately our dealer bills halved. 
So it was very, very, we thought it was a very worthwhile exercise. Yeah, I mean, it is so worth it if you can convince your landlord to do it. My parents live in an older property in Jumeirah 1, and it's the same sort of thing, that AC unit. You can hear it rumbling, and you just can feel, you can hear the energy getting sucked <laughs> into that thing. Um, but yeah, it's exactly convincing your landlord to, to make that change because it makes a drastic difference to the DEWA bill. Um, final one for you, Claire. We've been talking about homes a lot, but I wonder if we could talk about cars as well because we've seen a lot of cars getting stuck, and we are actually talking yesterday about how much of that is user error people just kind of bombing through irresponsibly uh lakes that they shouldn't be what kind of um results do you see with car insurance and how much they're expected to pay versus it actually being the error of the driver who's responsible and on the hook for that okay so from uh experience because i've actually dealt with a client who had this issue and his car did he had a rather expensive car and the he had to go to the insurance in a previous flood situation and he wasn't bombing through it um the insurance actually were exceptionally good right um and they did pay out they did resolve the issue and they were very very um amicable amenable and they dealt with the issue very very well but you have to also drive responsibly um at the end of the day there are laws you have to obey these laws you cannot go out and disobey and disregard when you are told not to drive at excessive speeds, when you are told not to go into areas where you should not drive. If you are found to be, by the insurance, driving into an area where you're told not to drive, your insurance will be invalidated. So you constantly drive into an area in the mountains where you know it's gonna be flooded, get your car stuck, it's damaged by water and then expect the insurance to pay for it. It's not going to happen. Right. Um, so there has to be a amount of respect for the law over here and an amount of common sense. If you want the insurance to pay out for the damage, don't do something that you know is contrary to the law. Well, there you have it. Drive safe out there. Be responsible. Thank you so much to both of you for joining us on the show. Claire, thanks for coming in. Thank you very much. And Harry as well. It's always a delight to have you. Well, thank you so much for having me on again, Sonor. things Super Bowl, specifically Super Bowl ads, as we've all managed to catch up a little bit on what's been going on with the ads that we've seen. Some of them cringe, some of them creative, a lot of them with a lot of big names and big dollars behind them. As we mentioned earlier, we all know by now how much a Super Bowl ad costs to air. It's about $7 million for a 30-second spot. Of course, the cost of making them is considerable as well. So it's not great when you find out that you need to make a little bit of a last-minute fix. So Uber eats. That's exactly what they did. They had made light of a man with peanut butter allergy. There was a complaint about that from the Food Allergy Research and Education Charity. And they actually listened. They did something about it. They made a last minute edit and they made sure it was no longer in the final advertisement. So to talk a little bit more about this and to get our heads around it, we're joined now by Anthony Miles, Managing Director at the branding agency Bond. And he's joining us now on the phone. Good afternoon, Anthony. Hello, how are you? Great. Thank you. Thank you for sticking it out. We tried to connect with you a little bit earlier and we had some gremlins in the (laughs) system. So appreciate you coming back on the line with us. First of all, I got to start, Anthony, you're in the advertisement industry. Do you watch all of the Super Bowl ads just for fun? I mean, how big of a deal are these in the industry, in the marketing Um, world? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think everyone in the industry watches them all very carefully. I think nowadays um, these ads, you know, are not they're not actually just for the Super Bowl. Obviously, that's what they're built for. But actually, they're built for social media as well. So I think they've been everywhere for the last few weeks. I think many of us have seen many of them. Any favorites that have stood out for you? Any that missed the mark as well? Um, I think I'm always a bit of a sucker for a bit of Christopher Walken. So uh, oh, yeah. the one, I think it was the BMW one with him is, uh, is, is always very good to see. Um, and, and the I mean, concept for that one was he was walking around and other famous people were approaching him, right? Yeah, and they would do it because Christopher Walken has a very distinctive voice. So they were all um, imitating his voice. And uh, I think the idea was that BMW were like, we're the original. So he was the original voice. So a simple idea, but, you know, it's always good to see him. And how long, when we talk about that Uber ad, I'm sure you're familiar with this story. How long would they have been yeah. working on this ad, do you reckon or do you think? It would have been oh. difficult to pull off a last-minute edit like that, I would imagine. I think the edit probably in their case is quite simple because actually, I mean, the ad itself would have taken a long time to put together, the concept and all of the famous people and celebrities in it. But actually, to their, to their luck in a way, in that case, it was one piece of a bigger story, a bigger concept. So I think to just edit out that one scene, it's quite easy to do, to be honest. Um, and it didn't ruin the idea. I think you think of like lots of other controversial ads. You think of things like the famous Pepsi one with Kendall Jenner a few years ago. Obviously, the whole thing was built around a single idea. You can't edit out the yeah. idea from it. Um, so that's difficult. But I think in this case, they were quite lucky in a way that it was quite easy to do. And I think that actually plays into that idea of, as I said earlier, a lot of these ads are shown nowadays on social media first. If they hadn't done that, then it probably wouldn't have been that big a deal because it would have been shown at the Super Bowl and then it would have been too late. I think that would have been the end of it. Right. And it's interesting that they did listen to the complaint and actually responded to it. And as you mentioned the Pepsi ad already, we see controversial ads from time to time that just don't land the way that companies are intending for them. So what is the best way to deal for these? What's the current market practice? If you've developed an ad and people are either offended by it or there's something you didn't think about altogether, um, you know, is it yeah. kind of take it down and apologize? Is it don't acknowledge it at all? What's the best approach actually? Well, I mean, first of all, I mean, at the end of the day, an ad brands need to grab attention somehow. And I guess there's different ways you can do that through storytelling, through using humor, through a little bit of controversy. So actually kind of walking that fine line is, is something that brands will always do because they want to grab attention. And then obviously sometimes things won't quite land in the right way. And, and I think when that happens, um, I think, you know, again, thinking of the Pepsi example, they did it very well. It's just like simple crisis management. You just show empathy. So you just apologize or you accept that maybe it didn't quite land in the way you were expecting it to. You take action. I think in their case, they took down the ad. I think in the case of Uber Eats, they removed the, the piece from the film. And then I think people will quickly move on. Again, I think this example with Uber Eats is a very small thing. I don't think we'll be talking about it in six months, a year's time. But again, they did the right thing and, and sort of did what they needed to do quickly. And, you know, when it comes to things not really landing, is it sometimes a good idea to miss the mark a bit? Because it, does it have that concept in advertising of all press is good press? Or can a terrible ad actually have a negative impact on the business? 
Well, I think you've, you've, you've kind of touched on something there. So I think in this case, and again, the Pepsi case, I think those are what you might call unintentional consequences, where they hadn't actually realized the impact or the re um, response they'd get. But there are other things where actually people do sort of go too far on purpose. I think if you think of the Colin Kaepernick ad um, with mm. Mike a few, again a few years ago, um, where uh, they made a stand about, you know, stand for something even if it costs you everything. Uh, they, I'm sure they played out in their heads exactly what would happen when they did that. It wasn't a, it wasn't a mistake. It was an intentional controversy that they were they were building around and actually as far as i know it actually resulted in well huge amounts of media and an increase in sales with their with the markets that they cared about so i think yes it, it's a fine line and sometimes go into it with your eyes open so it can work for you yeah well anthony thank you so much for walking us through that issue appreciate you joining us on the agenda today no problem thanks for doing it prospect of air taxis in Dubai. For years now, it's fair to say it's been one of those things, it's been an ongoing conversation, but there was a deal signed at the World Government Summit that might be bringing us one step closer. Joby Aviation has partnered with Skyport's infrastructure and the RTA to launch air taxi services in the Emirates by 2026. That is just two years away. It's quite difficult to conceive of. I've seen some photos, some renderings of this as well. It looks almost like a futuristic helicopter to me. And Jen, I'm going to invite you into the conversation for a moment. Jen has been alongside me throughout this show, but it's a bit under the weather, so I'm trying not to make you talk too much, but I appreciate you coming in once again. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying not to talk too much. I'm sounding a bit like I'm... I don't know what I sound like. Not very good, I well, would say. Uh, you can just, just one word answer to this one. Would you try out an air taxi if it was available in this city in two years? Would you be ready to just jump on? No. <laughs> I, I could give you a thousand words and they will all be no. Just because it's new tech and you're just a bit nervous? Or just because it sounds really expensive? I'm not the best flyer at the best okay. of times. I'm not a huge fan of flying. I love traveling, so I fly as a necessity. But... I would far rather drive myself. I'm a terrible passenger. I would always rather drive myself than have someone drive me. If road or rail is an option, I'm not going in the sky. Yeah, well, there you have it. Different opinions that we're <laughs> going to get on this one because I think a lot of people would be excited about the prospect of just watching the traffic on Shakeside Road while you just fly overhead <laughs> and skip it all, get to your destination in just about 10 minutes or so instead of waiting an hour in the rush hour traffic, especially if you've got a special event to go to. There could be certain use cases for it, but uh, we want to find out exactly what this is going to look like, how much it's going to be uh, going to cost you. And we're joined now by Oliver Walker-Jones. He's head of marketing at Joby Aviation. Oliver, thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Exciting news out of the World Government Summit that you guys inked that deal with Skyport's infrastructure, the RTA as well. And the agreement will make Dubai the first global location with a commercial electric air taxi service. It's a huge landmark for Joby. Tell us why Dubai? So Dubai is a really great market for this technology, partly because of the density of population, partly because of the, the traffic that's here, but also because the government, the regulator, everybody is leaning in together to make this a reality, make sure we have the infrastructure we need, the technology and the acceptance. And, you know, you said earlier, I think that 
we've been talking about this technology for a while now. In fact, I think you know most of us watched programs like the Jetsons when we were kids. And so we've been thinking about it for decades. But this is the first time that anyone signed a definitive agreement. And you know we actually want to start a service as soon as next year. Tell us, I, I want to hear a little, I need to paint a picture for us a little bit. Tell us about the Joby a- Aviation S4, because the actual vehicle to me, when I look at photos of it, it looks like a futuristic helicopter. I mean, what sets this apart <laughs> from being a helicopter? So there are a few things. I want you to imagine something that's about the size of an SUV, but it has a wing and it has six propellers. It takes off vertically like a helicopter, but then those propellers are able to tilt forwards and it flies forwards like a traditional aircraft. Mm -hmm. That means we're able to make the aircraft really quiet, also really efficient, and it means um, that we're going to be able to get you to your destination much more quickly um, than you might otherwise go. It's also an awful lot cheaper than traveling by helicopter. Right. And, you know, it's hard to imagine what this service is actually going to look like, again, because it's so novel, because it's so new. Can you describe the user experience to us? I mean, once you arrive at a Skyport, is this something you're going to have to book well in advance? I'm sure there's some things you're still working out, but maybe you could give us a little bit of the lay of of the land of what to expect with this. Sure. So we don't expect you to have to book far in advance at all. So I'm standing right now at the World Government Summit. And let's say I need to get to the airport to take a flight back to California where we're developing this technology. I would get my phone out and I would use an app. The app's already in development. We're working with the RTA. We also have our own one. And it's just it's just like the Kareem app or an Uber app. You choose where you want to go. You book a seat. You pay on the app. And you, you, you jump in a car or you walk to the nearest vertiport. You jump in the aircraft. It flies you where you want to go and you land. It's that simple. Just like... And a ride hailing service on the ground today. Yeah, just like that. <laughs> it just seems so so much <laughs> of a reach from that still. But it seems like there's going to be four vertiports to start. I mean, how did you pick those? Tell us what those locations are and how did you pick them? So we feel like those are where there's already really, really good demand for this sort of journey. So where there's a lot of traffic in between these sides, congestion is really a problem. That's why we wanted to start there. There are also locations where you kind of might expect to see this kind of infrastructure at the moment. Um, but looking forward, you know, we would love to expand this across Dubai. Um, and, you know, certainly here on the ground of the World Government Summit, there's a lot of people talking about the potential for connections further afield, for example, to Abu Dhabi. You know, in a journey mm-hmm. like that would only take 33 minutes in this aircraft. Right, so we've got Dubai International Airport, Palm Jumeirah, downtown Dubai, and the Dubai Marina as well, as I understand. And of course, how much time is that going to save people, according to your estimates? So a journey from Palm Jumeirah to the International Airport, it's going to take about 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that's typically four times faster than traveling by car. But it's about more than that as well, right? You're going to get to see the city from above. You're going to have zero operating missions. You know, it's an electric aircraft. Um, And we think it's going to be an incredible experience as well as saving you all that time. And, you know, Oliver, I need to get now to the biggest question, the question I think everybody is thinking of, because I've read reports about, and they're dated reports maybe, but the hope is to make this competitive in terms of being an affordable mode of transport, comparable to maybe going by land. I can't personally imagine how that's possible. Is there any clearer answer on on how much this is going to cost people to get involved with? Sure. So we're going to, you know, as we get closer to service, we're going to confirm more about the price of it. But the idea is that it is as accessible as possible. And that means we want it to be competitive with forms of transport on the ground today. You know, it's going to scale. It's going to take us some time, I imagine, to get to that point. But 
the thing is, the aircraft that we operate is considerably, considerably cheaper than running a helicopter because it's electric. There's much less maintenance. You're able to use it more regularly. You're able to offset the cost. And so we really do target that. We think it's possible. And we look forward to confirming more about the price as we get closer to starting service, which we hope to do uh, at the end of 2025. Okay, looking forward to hearing more about that because end of 2025 less than two years away. It seems ambitious, Oliver. Is it doable? What stage are you at? What's still what's still yet to happen in that sort of almost two years to get this going? So the te- yeah, the technology that we're developing has actually been under development for more than a decade. We've been flying aircraft, full-size aircraft for years and years now. We've flown tens of thousands of test miles with our aircraft um, and we fly pretty much every day out in California where we're developing it. Um, and today at the World Government Summit, you can see the inside of the cabin, the whole thing's designed. The thing that we need is to get the infrastructure built that we can land on and to get it accepted by the GCAA, that's the local regulator, um, to let us fly. And that works actually going really well. Um, and we're very confident with the progress that we're making there. And hey, you know, if we if we make it by the end of 2025, it's going to be an amazing thing. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. Hopefully you'll invite us along for one of the early rides. Jen's not keen, but I'd, I'd jump on, I think. But do you have that? Do you have <laughs> no, people who are a bit hesitant in terms of safety, in terms of, you know, not wanting to be the first sometimes with, with technology like this? I, I think that is totally acceptable. Um, I, I have members of my own family who are equally nervous flies, and I think that's fine. It's a new form of technology. It was like the introduction of the car, like the introduction of the jet engine. I think it's mm. natural that people um, might feel concerned, but I know from experience there's also a lot of people who are really excited. What I would say is it's going to be regulated by a regulator who ensures the safety. And you know, air, air travel is the safest form of transport that exists today. Um, and it's gonna, there's going to be a pilot on board, fully qualified commercial pilot. So mm-hmm. um, hopefully the, the views and the experience you'll get will uh, cancel out the, some of the butterflies that some people might have in their tummies. And I think for those people who perhaps don't want to go up in the skies to travel around for a short ride, may be looking forward to the prospect of decreased congestion on the roads. And that's one of the stated aims from Dubai, that it hopes it will reduce some of that urban traffic. But with the capacity that you have... I imagine only a few being people being transported at a time. Can it really make a difference? Can it make a dent in the sort of current traffic conditions that we have here in Dubai? So I think that's a very fair question. I would say, you know, a- anything that we do to take cars off the road is a good thing, and um, partly for the congestion, but also for emissions. So, you know, this aircraft is electric, so it's not going to generate operating emissions. Um, over time, as we scale, I hope that it does have an impact on congestion. And you've got to think about it more as it's not just about taking specific car trips off the journey. What if we could change the way that people live, where they live, where they choose to live, how they choose to travel, because they have this form of transport. So they might live out in Charger and they may only decide to come into the office two days a week. They might move further away from the city Mm. because they can now, because they have a fast mode of transport. And so it might just change the way we live, the way that we work and the places that we go. And so, you know, there's a short-term impact, but there's potentially a really meaningful long-term impact too. Oliver, it's such intriguing stuff. Really looking forward to seeing how this develops. And thanks so much for joining us on the line today. It was a real pleasure. We look forward to flying in Dubai. Looking forward to it. Oliver Walker-Jones there. He's head of marketing at Joby Aviation. So air taxis, you heard it there. End of 2025, potentially, that we'll start to see those operations kicking off.
You're tuned in to Sonal on the agenda, and we're crossing live now to Noni Edwards from the ARN News Center. She's at the World Government Summit. Good morning, Noni. How's the atmosphere down there? Good morning, Sonal. Hey, look, the headline here today is that it's dry. It hasn't been washed out. Everyone's out in force. Media are flocking around. There are film cameras around. It's big. There's a lot of tech. There's a lot of buzz. Um, yeah, and yeah. talking about a lot of tech, there's a morning headline, to say the least, of Sam Altman, CEO, OpenAI, founder of ChatGBT, that's causing a lot of excitement. A lot of excitement. I have to say, not much controversy. I was expecting a bit of controversy, but no. He, his main line today was that we need more regulation in the area of, of AI. Uh, he said very comfortingly that he believed that the UAE was well-placed to be at the forefront of that. He was calling for more oversight. He said globally there needs to be a higher committee, some form of regulatory body. Uh, he gave an example of the International Atomic Energy Agency for nuclear regulation. Mm -hmm. uh, the chat was being hosted by Omar Sultan Alalama, who is the UAE's Minister of State for AI. He told uh, Mr. Alalama very plainly that he thought that the UAE could be part of that framework. Um, he also had a really big message for young people. He said that young people today are unbelievably lucky, coming of age at the best time in human history. He said that they understand the technology, that young people are always the early adopters. So he, he urged them to get on board, do whatever they want at a time when an individual can express their individuality at will. It's a great time. And you know, that message of the warnings of AI and regulations around it, it's really reminiscent of comments that Elon Musk made at the World Government Summit just last year as well. So it seems to be a consistent theme that we're seeing. And someone or something, I should say, who is a big fan of Sam Altman is uh, Ian's robot. This was so unexpected. So I was walking past the entryway and there is a very, very lifelike woman uh, or non-sentient being greeting everyone. Uh, her name's Mia, and she is a robot who is there uh, representing Eand. And I asked her what she would do if she could walk. She was there on a platform being very... <laughs> and she said that she would meet Sam Altman, that he was her hero. Huh. Um, I don't know. She was also quite funny. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I told her that, uh, that I was a little bit disconcerted by how lifelike she was. She... She urged me not to not to be worried, not to be concerned. That she was uh, she was she was designed by humans. She learned everything she knew by humans. And if I was always worried, I could always switch off her power switch. Great. And well, tell us what's on later today. What are you looking forward to over the rest of the session? The big one we have coming up uh, in just a few minutes is Rafael Grossi. He's the director general of the IAEA, the International Atomic Energy Agency. He's speaking on powering the future. So that's going to be our big news line for today, I believe. And then there's also a, a, a panel, a, a series of, of chats on later on, on learning and work. And we will have representatives from Zoom, uh, TikTok and Udacity, which is the massive open online course provider. Uh, so I'm looking forward to those things particularly. And uh, you can see all our content on the ARN News Census channel. Brilliant. I know Noni is brilliant on social media, so you should definitely check out some of that content if you want an inside look at what's going on at the World Government Summit. Noni, thanks so much for taking the time for a, a quick chat. Enjoy the rest of it. Thanks, Bernal. Thank you very much. I'll stay dry. <laughs> You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is The Agenda. On Dubai Eye 103.8.